0: If you're going to solve US healthcare, you really have to start with how insurance operates. There's so much advancement happening on the clinical side of things, but we have a view that insurance actually pulls the strings in outcomes and quality and costs.
1: Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science around the globe. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the pod. I'm Alex Merwin, Head of Growth, Healthcare and Life Sciences Startups at AWS. Now, on this feed, you get to meet incredible entrepreneurs and innovators who are truly advancing and pushing the boundaries of what's possible in healthcare. But we need to keep in mind that none of these solutions will achieve their true potential and deliver clinical impact unless they get reimbursed and fully integrate into the healthcare system. That's why I couldn't be more excited to bring you this conversation today, where Joe Schonkweiler will be interviewing the CEO and founder of Flume Health, Cedric Kovac Johnson. Flume Health is creating technologies that enable payers to launch incredible new health plans that save money and drive better outcomes. Really excited for this one. Let's get into it.
2: Cedric Kovacs Johnson, CEO and founder of Flume. Thanks for joining me today.
0: Hey, thank you so much. Looking forward to it.
2: To start off, can you tell us a bit about Flume and what you
0: all do? Sure. So Flume is the health insurance operations platform. We aim to make it really easy to stand up and operate modern health plans. And we started the business several years ago to the view that obviously U.S. healthcare has a lot of challenges, but we take the sort of controversial point of view that if you're going to solve U.S. healthcare, you really have to start with how insurance operates. There's so much advancement happening on the clinical side of things. But we have a view that insurance actually pulls the strings in outcomes and quality and costs. And what we saw is generally there are new health insurers emerging and the incumbency that have ideas that can dramatically change the cost and quality of care. And they simply don't have the tools to get it there. And Flume is aiming to fill that gap.
2: So who would be your customer, your target customer in that model.
0: Yeah, sure. So we definitely have two very distinct customers at Flume today. We have the de novo health plans who are getting started for the first time. And you have the incumbents that have scale. They have a large base of membership and they want to sort of rethink what their health plans are capable of. I would describe both as being unified by the view that they're generally moving to a more personalized health insurance world. So think a health plan that's not necessarily built to be a one size fits all PPO, or some people say one size fits none PPO, but starting to build plan features, whether those are incentives or accumulators or point solutions, disease management, et cetera, that are better suited to specific underserved groups of people. And those groups can be defined at literally the individual level or very often we see that at the employer level where an employer maybe has a very specific population of set of needs and they want to rethink what health insurance looks like within their company. Bridging that gap, whether you're starting a new health plan or you're an incumbent trying to become more personalized, you're trying to do that on basically a sequence of systems that have been around for 30 years when this level of personalization. Either was it possible or was not really necessary because health insurance was generally affordable and now we have to carve things out, carve things in, and those tools to make these plans more specific to the task at hand or the population at hand, they don't exist. And that's, that's what unites our customers in that way.
2: It also seems like there's a thread that is consistent with the drive to value-based care in the way you navigate health at the population level, the tooling, the data flows, et cetera, like legacy systems just aren't built to incorporate that in a way that is meaningful in their processes. Have you found that to be the case? And that may be something that brings you into the discussion as well.
0: Sure. And I'm looking forward to getting much more specific about what are the exact shortcomings of some of these legacy systems? Because I think it's important not to just speak in generalities. But on on your question of value-based care, it's been this sort of movement to value. I think it's probably been a headline every health insurance conference for the last 15 years. And somehow we still are not there, but it's going to happen this year. And I think you have all sorts of really exciting examples of pockets of success, different ACO models, et cetera, that value-based care seems to be taking hold. But it's not necessarily the answer for everyone. And so I think we see a window of some piece that's working for some folks. So if you look at our client base, especially on the de novo health plan side, these are groups that are building net new health plans to bring to market. The majority of those customers are actually provider groups that are launching new health plans uh, on their behalf. So one, we haven't announced the name publicly. But they're a state-dominant health system. So they're buying away the number one health system in their state. And that state is also dominated on the payer side by a single insurer, right? And so it's become this 1v1 monopoly on both sides of the equation in this particular state. And it matters because healthcare is still buying away delivered locally. right? So this health system said, why don't we go out and build a competing health plan product Most patients that we see are already familiar with our brand and they'd be inclined to at least give our health insurance a shot. We can give ourselves the ability to basically refer to ourselves. And if I summarize why providers are thinking about becoming health plans, it comes down to a handful of things. The first is this view that they can control more of the end-to-end patient experience. So I always say that in a patient's journey their life is punctuated by health care appointments or provider appointments, but what's with them the entire time is their health insurance. So they get the ability to ultimately get a longitudinal view on their patients and dictate more and more of their experience. And then the second piece, and this goes back to your question about value-based care, is they get to collect the premium dollar and then spend the premium dollar. And that's really powerful. And what I see happening here. With our customers who are provider organizations launching new plans, is it is a proxy for taking on risk and basically cutting out insurance and taking on that risk directly rather than having to negotiate some sort of value-based structure or, or construct with a payer.
2: Cedric, what you've laid out is very much in the weeds of payer dynamics and Building your membership and accounting for total cost of care. Let's take a step back. I'd love to hear about your own background. Like, how did you end up tackling this really challenging, interesting, complex space? Have you spent your whole career in healthcare?
0: Absolutely not. Joe, I get this question all the time because <laughs> I have such an unconventional background. So, going back, I studied chemical engineering undergrad, and my alternative career path would have been probably working in oil and gas with the view to understand oil and gas such that I could start focusing on renewables and becoming uh, uh, an agent for the movement to renewables away from oil and gas permanently. I just so happened to my senior year of college be working on a really interesting product in 3D printing. And by the time we graduated, we had three patents on this technology and it was a 3D printing full color application. If you look me up on Google Patents, you'll see how it worked. It was really slick. Um, and basically a year after graduating, we sold the business. We had an opportunity to, to do that or fundraise and we decided to sell. And partly because I wasn't so sure how the 3D printing market would evolve. And I basically saw that 3D printing was challenged by what is the ultimate use case if it's not in manufacturing. And so I was it's super excited about 3D printing. If you're an engineer, especially a mechanical engineer and you have a 3D printer in your lab, it's like having superpowers. It's one of the coolest things in the world to go from like concept and design to holding a part in your hands hours later. But I knew that whatever I wanted to work on next, the problem space had to be huge, it had to be bigger than the kind of solution space. And I was really saying, I'm going to be a student of an industry. And I was looking at financial services. I was also looking at healthcare. And at that time, we happened to be going through as a family a major healthcare event. And I think it really focused me on asking questions of how does this work? How does that work? Chemical engineering teaches you systems thinking. And what I found interesting is behind the scenes of a hospital and behind the scenes of the payer, there's this whole supply chain of entities that are actually doing the work and making decisions. And the outflow of that is, do you get a claim paid? Do you get approved for your next appointment, et cetera, et cetera. And so seeing this take place, my little sister in 2017, 2018, it was her trying to get brain surgery for her epilepsy approved, taking 18 months, even though her neurologist and her primary care doctor were on board. And it was in that moment that I realized the health insurance Construct and the way it runs in the US is the powerful force. And if you want to solve healthcare, you should start with insurance. So I basically spent a year, what I call wandering the healthcare desert, learning about all the different pieces of that supply chain on the insurance side. And basically, I realized that the administrative core is the high leverage problem on the payer side. And if you can start to solve these really overlooked, invisible, and really not sexy administrative problems, You can have super high leverage outcome on everything from bringing telemedicine into the fold and direct primary care through to new reimbursement models and direct contracting models. But all of it comes to a standstill if you're trying to build these initiatives on yesterday's infrastructure. So that's where we are. And and I'll say, I'll be the last thing on my background is I still very much feel like an outsider. I have been very fortunate to build a team around me that are folks who are subject matter experts and go incredibly, incredibly deep on parts of the industry that can totally school me on how different parts of healthcare work. And I think that's what's special about the team we built at Sloom is you have insiders and outsiders working together.
2: Have you identified the right folks or did they find you? Because I found in the value-based care side in my previous life, it's really hard to strike that balance. Like you need folks that know it well enough, but not so well that they are unwilling to do it differently or break the processes where it makes sense. But you got to know this is a really arcane stuff to pick up. How have you as the founder and leader navigated that in building that
0: team? It's a real struggle. It's a very profound question, actually. And I divide it into two parts. There's one part is how do you even know you need this thing? The unknown unknowns. That was sort of the first hurdle. And I think as we build out our product suite and we try to solve new problems with our product service area, there are more unknown unknowns around compliance and payments. You you could just name a thing. Just We didn't even know the industry needed to do this. And so we have to rethink, reset expectations about what do we need to be very good at? That's one part And it's constantly a journey and healthcare is a space where you can't really move fast and break things. You have to move quickly once you understand all the requirements, if you will. And then part two to your question is, once you know those gaps, do you sell them with people who can learn or people who already know? I think this is probably the place where it really depends, not just on who knows what, but how people think. We've had subject matter experts that have come and worked at Plume either full-time or consulting roles that really think like startup people. They think from first principles and they happen to have come from the industry, but they're really eager to say, this is how the industry has operated for years. And it was wrong 10 years ago. It's still wrong, but there are pieces of it that we should learn from. And then you do have folks who are very grounded in not necessarily thinking about why things are done a certain way. It's just, it operates that way. And if there's any advice I can have for other founders is trying to identify that early. I think we've gotten very good at identifying the different personality types, not just on industry experience, but really, how do you think about a problem in an interview context? You will inevitably need those subject matter experts. But to the extent they're not first principles thinkers and questioning why things work the way they do, they're probably best suited in your company as consultants that you can pull information from not necessarily have running an entire product line because you're not necessarily going to rethink not just how should this be done in general, but how should it be done for an early stage business?
2: Yeah, that makes sense. And you laid it out really beautifully. It's I'm sure this happens in other industries, but it feels so acute in healthcare because of the depth within the various important stakeholders. If you're in the healthcare space, you have to make decisions about who you're selling to and how you're tackling which market. It's not a monolith. Like there's so many different pieces to it, but finding the standardized segments that you can attack is, it seems like a big part of that for you all. I'm actually curious how different is it to work with the more established players with these? I've heard you call them the challenger plans previously. And I think that is a sure. great, great way to, to frame it. So when you were just whiteboarding this idea, recruiting early team members, raising money, what have you, who did you envision as the customers? Did you always see that you'd have the challenger plans and the legacy players as part of your customer base? Or was it one or the other? What did that early vision look like for who you'd be going after?
0: Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And we knew that there was a divide very early on. I had a point of view that healthcare scale accrues to incumbents, there's a lot of evidence to point that the big are going to keep getting bigger organically and inorganically. And so we always knew incumbents would be a major part of our life. In fact, our last round, we had both Cigna Ventures and Optum Ventures for that exact reason, as part of our investor mix. We knew that challengers would be able to move quickly, but we didn't necessarily know the entire like scoping of how many challengers are there, how many people right. are trying to build health plans. And a company like Firefly, which was our first health plan uh, operations customer, we were sitting there asking ourselves, how many more are there? So I basically best summarize this in the three bets that we acknowledged last year we were making. And they're the following three. The first was that we're betting that there's an increasing number of new what we call challenger or de novo health plans that are being created trying to go after very niche underserved populations. And so this could be groups that are building for specific ethnicities, specific disease states, specific um, geo areas, right? The second is that those can grow to get to significant scale, those Dodovo plans. And then the third is that we're betting that incumbents are probably facing a similar set of operational challenges or opportunities. And the solution space is overlapping with what DeNovo plans are looking for. So on bet number one, we absolutely were blown away by just how quickly these DeNovo plans were being formed. We were getting form fill requests weekly and just wow. consistently. We had a goal of onboarding four customers last year. We ended up onboarding 10, right? Mm-hmm. So we went incredibly quickly and it's so exciting to see these customers start to take off. and they're building on a foundation where they don't need to think twice about operations. They get to just think about what's their vision for their plan and how do they build on this very stable backend. And then the third is we always knew that these legacy players would be where the scale was and we'd want to grow alongside them. It would be a different sales cycle a different set of requirements. And what came out of that process, spending a lot of time with incumbent payers. Is that there are things that we, as a new health plan administrator, had to build because we inherit all the problems that a health insurance company does that allowed us, basically, we call them like our superpowers. And it turns out the incumbents and legacy players aren't necessarily eager to rip and replace their entire back end operational stack, but they're looking to augment it. And so you may have just noticed we're doing a formal announcement end of March that we are releasing Flume Relay to the world. It's the first product that is a standalone product that's not part of the full Flume platform, if you will, and the full Flume administrator, but it's a standalone product to specifically manage one issue that payers have today, which is dealing with the proliferation of point solutions and integrating with all of them. So if you look at our website, you'll find uh, that Flume Relay, is the is our answer to how do modern payers keep pace with and ultimately integrate and manage integrations with the thousands of vendors that are just this cambrian explosion of vendors that underlie health plans today
2: have the incumbent discussions evolved since you founded the company it feels like yes there's a lot of point solutions but we're hitting a steady state now where the mature solutions are bubbling up. And at least my conversations with payers is they're more interested, but now they have some proving ground in terms of metrics or uptake or what have you to bring those things in. And I'm curious, was there any initial resistance in that group that you feel like has dissipated or were they always, and this is the incumbent side, were they always like, this is great. You're solving a problem for us. Come on in.
0: Yeah, it's a very interesting question. So we're in a phase where you could argue this unbundling has been taking place for the past 10 years. We're coming in maybe midstream there. And so we're seeing a very specific time window in this unbundling journey. What we've heard is at first for some payers, there was resistance to this proliferation of point solutions in the sense that we can do it all. If you think that your health plan of 20 years ago it, let's say it was blue cross of somewhere you got all of your health care from blue cross it was their network their plan and it was a pretty simple administrative flow and slowly but surely it's like a frog boiling water people carved out networks they carved out pharmacy benefit management they carved out disease management now you have mental health you have fertility benefits it just it keeps going on and on and these are all very good additions to health plans But the average employer commercial health plan today has over 14 point solutions. We actually just heard of a plan that has 68 point solutions. Some of these are not even being used. And to your point, we don't even know if they all work. So there's a whole evaluation question. What I'm hearing right now is twofold. One is the rate at which these point solutions are coming to market and then are being demanded by brokers and employers is high. We can't fight it and just have an answer for every single one, especially as these point solutions get nichier and nichier. So right. think Levongo was the first big, we're going to solve diabetes disease management, but now there's a Levongo for ev- increasingly rarer and rarer diseases. And that's a great thing, but keeping pace with a competitive product as a payer is probably really challenging. So I think there's an acceptance. This unbundling is here. And there's a need to like, just keep pace with employers are asking me for X. I just need to solve for X. I hope that evaluation and sort of quality measure is the next problem that gets solved Mm because right now, I think you laid this out perfectly. You're as the payer, if you're debating between vendor X or Y to solve for some category of disease management, all you really have to go on is their data and their representation, usually in a marketing format of how good they are. And we need to be better as an industry of evaluating and measuring true quality and better at attribution measurement. So I think Sloom Relay as a basically a conduit for trading data to manage integrations, we end up being in the claims flow. I hope that we can eventually be in a place where we can start to indicate Is vendor X better than vendor Y? And I think we have a real shot at tackling that problem, but it's definitely going to come next year or the year after from us.
2: I want to circle back to something you referenced at the very beginning about what the incumbent payers are not good at. And I'm sure they would say the same that you bring (laughs) in. Like, where are the gaps that you come in? It sounds like the point solutions is one and that makes total sense. But what about the things that are not readily apparent to your average viewer?
0: I think very few members would say they have a great experience with their health plan. And so if you ask what's behind that, it could be anything from the 1-800 number it takes forever to connect to somebody to every time a claim is processed, there's an issue and I have to then get on the phone with the provider, et cetera. So the number of touch points that a payer has are so big that I'm sure there are a multitude of problems. And I'm constantly reminded that I see a... Splice of healthcare. And even if we go to something adjacent like pharmacy benefits, I very quickly start to feel like, again, an outsider and a total novice. What we know incumbents are struggling with today has to do with the amount of customization that seems to be happening at the group level, seems to be very challenging. Employers are looking for increasing degrees of complexity, new rule sets, new incentives and then new point solutions. And doing that for large employers seems to be, it's economic to to make these custom health plan builds. But as those requests go downstream, we've heard many payers say that or suggest that their SMB segment, which can be as big in some cases, as 500 lives, is just not profitable. And I think it, it, this is the problem that we're acutely honed in on and we aim to solve is How do you start to deliver more personalized health insurance benefits down to more and more specific populations? At the end of the day, I would like to see something that's directly formed around the individual. Think about a health plan for the transgender community, how that would be different. Or a health plan for people with a very specific type of health condition, like my sister struggling with epilepsy. What would that cover? What would that not cover? And the way I see the work that we're doing is, we're enabling more personalized, more specific benefits to go from big co-employer and make it economic for that sliding scale to go down all the way to the individual, hopefully.
2: Cedric, I'd like to close with a piece of advice. You've offered one earlier. I'm gonna I'm gonna press you for one more. Sure. You came in as an outsider, as you said, into this really nuanced, complex space. If I came up to you at a conference or emailed you out of the blue as a budding founder and entrepreneur, and I said, I think that that there's other problems to solve in the payer benefit space writ large, what's your advice to that founder? How should they approach it?
0: I think it's important. And this actually goes to your earlier question about hiring those subject matter experts versus not to keep in mind that. You should be customer-informed, but not necessarily customer-led. And we have to constantly remind ourselves of this. When you're talking to incumbents, these sales cycles are six months to... We've heard some people have had health plans in a pipeline for 10-plus years, which is crazy. (laughs) Along the way, you're showing them what your product can do. You're giving them an insight to what's coming down the roadmap. Here's what we're thinking about this feature. And there's a balance to be played between... Letting the customer say, can the button be there versus showing them a version where the button is somewhere and it checks the box for them. Because if you go too much down the road of your customer led, not just customer informed, you end up building something just for them that you can't really recycle. And I think the trap that a lot of, especially, I think this is B2B enterprise SaaS generally, but healthcare in particular, is you end up, if you have five customers with five different products, and then you get into a really hard scaling process. So that would be my advice is be ready for the sales cycle, but really dig deep from your own intuition, your own vision, and try to present that to the customer as much as possible, rather than letting them treat you like a dev shop, which is not out of a bad place, it's just what naturally happens if you're not trying.
2: Cedric Kovacs Johnson, CEO and founder of Flume. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you. See you next time. Thanks for joining us today for the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. If you want to get in touch with AWS, please check out our show notes where you can find a link. The best way to support the podcast is to share it with your colleagues and friends. We also appreciate your reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have ideas on how we can improve the show, please let us know. Our feedback survey is in the show notes. See you next week.